Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. I am talking to Sean Jewell, Chief Chocolate Officer, CCO of Coracow. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Coracow Chocolate, yeah. And um, I met you guys at Paleo FX just walking by, grabbing the free samples, and it was extremely delicious, high-quality chocolate. Uh, I took advantage of your two-for-one offer and bought a whole bunch of stuff to take home. And we uh, started chit-chatting about the the chocolate industry at large and the, the quality manufacturing, some of the things to watch out for. So I thought this would be a great show to educate the listeners, especially those uh, interested in dark chocolate and becoming a connoisseur rather than just stuffing their face with the, the junk that's on the shelves because we, we have some issues and some big differences in quality and manufacturing. Most definitely. So tell me, uh, let's, I guess, start with what you guys do there at your operation and you can give a nice plug for the, the quality standards and the, the extraordinary lengths you guys go to, to to source the healthy chocolate and so forth. Yeah, for sure. So like like you mentioned, um, I'm one of the co-owners here at Coracao uh, Chocolate um, and more recently um, also Kokoko uh, Drinking Chocolate. And um, yeah, our, our philosophy from the start was to like kind of marry delicious and healthy in a way that um, people kind of were conditioned to believe wasn't possible, um, you know, and, um, and do it with one of the, you know, hardest foods to prove that with, which would be candy. Um, so from the very start, we were making like kind of Reese's, you know, Reese's buttercup esque type of things, caramel cups and trying to replicate actual, like actual American candies, not, not starting with a very dark chocolate and trying to make it better, but just like, um, from the start, like going with like the sweeter, more conventional, Thanks, because that is kind of the those are those are the recipes that we really we really missed and we wanted to create for ourselves, and um, and that was actually Daniel and Matthew who are our original two founders. Um, Daniel is my current business partner now and still heads um, kind of the R and D side of things, and um, they got their start at a Cafe Gratitude uh, about ten years ago. Which um, for those who don't know of Cafe Gratitude, is kind of the the like first restaurant that really married like health sustainability and delicious food, um, all at once. And, uh, where's that located? That is, um, that is, uh, they have a chain of, uh, restaurants. There's one in Santa Cruz now, one in LA and, um, their heyday kind of came and went, they had 10 locations at their high spot, but, and, um, so now they're just, um, I think the owners sort of moved on, but the owners had their own farm. They were growing that. And it was, it was, it was sort of like pushing a sort of a vegan diet, um, as like the healthy diet. But, um, but the sourcing was amazing and they were always like gluten-free and stuff like that. But the really thing that really stood out at their restaurants were the desserts because, um, you know, I think there's, um, a lot of things that are sort of questionable about the raw vegan diet as a lifestyle, but a raw vegan dessert menu is pretty epic, um, which a lot of people like, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of paleo diet recipes that are basically just rehashed raw vegan recipes, a lot of keto diet, like dessert recipes that are a lot of just rehashed, you know, coconut butter and like coconut oil and the heavy reliance on those. 
kind of all came out of that food industry. And um, so, so Daniel and Matthew, the founders of our company, were the head dessert chefs of Cafe Gratitude. And um, so, so our company was always like, you know, just founded in like delicious, sustainable and healthy. Yeah. And so as we've grown, we've been able to like really, really push harder on, um, on all on the sustainability part of that, because we have a little bit more clout. We're buying more, um, which gives us more, uh, more power to kind of exert, um, our will on the system. And, um, yeah, so we're working with, uh, farming collectives around the world. Um, about 50% of our cacao comes from the collective we're most proud of, uh, Echo Cacao in Ecuador. Um, and they are about 450 farmers, um, working in the Esmeraldas region of Ecuador to reforest, um, part of parts of the rainforest that have been previously deforested for lumber or cattle grazing or monocropping different crops that didn't pan out because that often doesn't work very long. And, um, so yeah, so, and so I had like the opportunity to go down there recently and, you know, talk with some of the farmers, see the farms, see the new processes, processing facility they're building for the incoming cacao. And, um, yeah, the, you know, on the spectrum of like rainforest to farm these farms are way more akin to a rainforest in the sense where it's just it's uh, the cacao trees are growing um in sort of a random pattern with other crops that are being farmed simultaneously um and they're grown with like lots of shade from taller trees um lots of pollinators and other different animals on slopes you know, tons of protection and, um, very small farms between two, two acres to 10 acres with anywhere between like, you know, one in 10 people maintaining these farms. And, um, and the farmers themselves, the ones I spoke to, like really pride themselves on, you know, like they see themselves more of like, it's like a farmer, less than a farmer trying to, you know, make a high yields for like monetary gains. They more see themselves as like, I'm being paid, you know, as to be a steward of this plot of land. And it's my job to make sure that this plot of land stays healthy. And if I do that right, food will come out of it, you know? And so, and so that's, that is how the world's best cacao is grown. Sounds like it's probably more difficult to harvest if it isn't this organized regimented area where the, you know, like we're so familiar mm-hmm. with farming in America and we're driving through the farmlands and the cornfields and yeah. there's a stock every three and a half feet. And there's mm-hmm. uh, even the, the almond groves that you drive by on interstate five in California with the, the sprinklers going and the yeah. nets and all the stuff. And now you're talking about mm-hmm. just wandering in the forest and having to harvest mm-hmm. the plant. Does it, does it make a challenge for the farmer? Yeah. Um, y- yes and no. Like it does in the sense, um, like uh, cacao has always been sort of like this, uh, almost like a trickster god of like the plant world. It's very, it's very, it's very tough to grow well. Um, it's very susceptible to certain diseases. It's it doesn't reward monocropping, um, or like growing without shade, or um, it, it relies heavily on very specific types of pollinators. And so, um, like people who use um, varietals that have been bred over time to be more robust as disease, more resistant to full sun, um, that can be row cropped. Um, yeah, they will get very high yields for a couple of years, 
but disease plights will take out entire crops and it's more of a when than an if. And so, um, so it's, uh, and it depends like if people want to do like a short term investment that way they can, but it never really pans out to be very economical for the farmer. I think it's sort of, I'm not too familiar with the soy and corn industry in America, but it's very much, I think, akin to that where you have, you know, representatives from large companies going down and trying to convince these cacao farmers to switch to these easy to grow monocropping varietals. And what they think is going to be a big cash crop for them ends up being a, a cycle of debt to the, you know, to the big corporate um, cacao companies that went in in the first place that, you know, gave them advances for all this. And, and, and um, yeah, and they, so they get, they get enticed into like a larger yield, but then trapped in a, in a cycle doing it. And then in Ecuador, there's another barrier because if you want to switch back to growing, like, okay, okay, that didn't work out. And I want to switch back to growing organic. Well, you have to, there has to be a three-year period where the land is allowed to just reset. So you can't just grow organic one season and non-organic in another. And so, uh, so it's very hard to switch back because, you know, most farmers in Ecuador can't absorb just three years of no profit. Um, and that's one of the programs we're working with to try and incentivize people to switch is to work out a way to um, subsidize farmers during that three year period so that they, um, you know, so that these these different farmers have a, have an incentive to switch back. Or if someone's inheriting a farmer has purchased a farm, they have an incentive to do so. Um, but uh it's tough, but I think we can we can figure out something that works. Yeah. So the small farmers join this collective so that they can uh, actually present uh, a good quantity of crop to to market to the buyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they band together and they're they're sort of in a, in a co op form. And so that I guess that's uh, mm-hmm. one way to organize it. And then uh, I believe there's a, a compare and contrast to the. Uh, the conventional approach. Can you discuss some of the things that you mm-hmm. were disturbed by that you told me about? Yeah. I mean, in the reason in the Esmeraldas region, um, it's been moving towards like positive, positively grown cacao, cacao grown with a, a higher consciousness and um, a better moral compass. But um, there's still a lot of conventional cacao farms growing there. So you'll see these large row crops of um, these varietals, of like the one that's most conventionally known as CCN 51, which is just probably the, what most conventional chocolate is made from. It's this one specific varietal that's has a pretty, pretty not so all right flavor most of the time, but it's just very robust to disease. And it's got these like large purple pods that yield more beans. So it's got a higher yield size too. So you see a lot of those farms, but you'll see a lot of like diseased pods on these trees. And um, there's two different types of like diseases. Um, one is um, it's a pod rot where the pod itself, like it's a fungus and just turns brown. Um, and then the beans inside turn brown. Typically the beans are like up there, a bright purple bean um, with a white, bright white fruit around it. And, um, and then when you ferment those beans and dry them, that's when they turn brown and sort of get that chocolatey color. Um, but these beans are brown from the start. You know, they're just, you know, they're literally rotting from a, they're like, they're suffering from a disease. They've got sort of a, like a cacao leprosy. And then there's this other disease called witch's broom where, um, these like broom, like, like, like assemblage of sticks grow off of a tree and, um, lead to these like, like small, like shriveled pods. And so 
these uh, these pods with these diseased trees, like if you drive by people drying the beans or pouring the beans out, you'll see that they're throwing these diseased beans in with the lot. Oh, and um, you're, you're getting these, to the, yeah, these don't taste. Yeah. You're getting to the punchline, yeah. man. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, now, wait a yeah. second. Um, so the the, um, the these these things are bred to be uh, to, to produce more. But in, in the course of that, they become more uh, susceptible to disease. They're actually well, they're actually more resistant to the disease, but they're just not 100 oh, yeah. percent resistant. Um, oh, okay, so and, when um, they do get the, disease, yeah, yeah. The, I mean the 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 cacao farms that I was on with our farmers, like a lot of you know, they had pods that were diseased as well. But the difference is they don't they don't use them, and um, and when you're working with such small farmers that have these small, you know, it's pretty easy to see, you know, if they are, and they and like. And so, so they don't use those beans. And, you know, I talked with one farmer who's, he had a lot of trees with witch's broom and he said like, you know, if I just let them be for three years, don't harvest them, you know, they're kind of like, you know, like the tree is sort of like a person. Like if you just let the disease run its course and go through its process, it'll, it'll work it out. You can't, you just can't, you can't, um, you can't rely on that tree for a little while. So he just like lets it be undisturbed and um, things like that. And so they have these intuitive ways of managing the disease. So he'll go in, he'll trim off the disease you know, separate that, go like, you know, like, uh, make sure that the pods don't get anywhere close to his other trees. And he's managing disease that way. The other people, they just, um, you know, they manage the disease with, um, new, like, you know, just getting robust varietals or, um, or yeah, like I said, just, um, just using those diseased beans if, and while they can, because, um, you know, like most conventional chocolate bars, like even like chocolate bars are about between like five and 15% chocolate or cacao per content. Like, so it'd be like a, like a Hershey's bar is an 11% dark bar. So when you're working with such a minimal amount of cacao, the flavor isn't that important. It's, yeah, it's very masked. Yeah. And so you, oh, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. It's mostly the sugar and mm-hmm. the milk products going in. Yeah. And so they don't care if yeah. they're not getting the highest quality. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, uh, yeah. what a, mm-hmm. um, so what about in the dark chocolate realm where we're, uh, we're, we're committed to the, to the program, we want to be healthy, eat in the ancestral pattern, mm-hmm. and go for the high cacao percentage. So now we have a much bigger variable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you go to the store and you see, uh, like at Trader Joe's, they're 85% dark chocolate uh-huh. bars, $1.59 for three and a half ounces. And so yeah. somehow the value, the disparity in the value uh, seems like we're, we're teeing Sean up for a story there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's interesting is a lot of people, like a lot of people have come to me over the years and said like, Oh, I love dark chocolate. I go to Trader Joe's and I get this 85% bar and I just, I just love it. But those are like, you know, a lot of people drink black Folgers coffee. You know, it's just like, you can condition yourself to, to, uh, to tolerate some pretty, some pretty crazy flavors over time, especially, um, yeah. And also like a trick and the reason it's just incredibly bitter those chocolates normally is people say dark chocolate is very bitter. You know, it's like, it kind of like, it's almost like this thing that goes without saying. Um, and like a conventional dark chocolate bar, like one you might find in a store that's, you know, you know, may use like, um, yeah. Um, is very bitter because they have to roast the beans to like the absolute max to make this homogenous dark burnt flavor that can compensate for, all the like imperfections in the beans, like the rot of the beans, the other, other things that will be mixed in with those beans based on the processing methods that, um, that I've also seen part of 
down in Ecuador that are just, uh, somewhat unsavory. And, um, and yeah, so it's the same, it's akin to, it's akin to like the coffee industry where it's just like, you know, if you just, if you just roast it long enough, you'll get like that dark, bitter flavor. But like with dark chocolate made with very high quality cacao, you get not just bitter, you get bitter is a part of the story, but only 10% of the story. It's one instrument in an orchestra of flavors. You have bitter, you have floral, you have astringent, you have light, you have citrusy, you have like, you know, I mean, chocolate is like wine, like fine wine, fine coffee, craft beer. It's like anything like, you know, there's all these different flavor notes and stuff going on. There's a whole, you know, there's like, it's a whole orchestra on different instruments and different varietals will be playing loudly, louder than others around the time. And like, you know, we'll get cacao from the same farms, but at different times of the year, it'll be singing a very different tune. And you can just tell like, Hmm, this was, you know, this probably was fermented longer. You know, it probably had to be, or it probably had to be fermented longer because the air was drier or, Oh, this, this, you know, this one's tastes like a little like more citrusy. So it wasn't fermented as long, you know, and, um, or like, you know, yeah, so it's like, this is the soil, the landscape, you know, it's like, it's a, you know, it's a real communication with the land, And, um, you know, and I think that's like something people notice when they start eating like real foods is like, you know, like the, like when you're eating like just a mono ingredient food by mono ingredient, I mean one thing, you know, an apple, a steak, a tomato, like you're kind of tasting like the health of where it came from along with it. And so, uh, so yeah, so, so, um, I think if a lot of people just ate one of those, like fermented and then sun-dried cacao beans from that 85% Trader Joe's bar, they would, they would cringe. Like it would just be, it would be a very unpalpable experience. But if you were to do that with a bean from one of these farms, it would be like, you know, just like a high quality cacao nib that like a lot of people like to crunch on, you know? And, um, so yeah, that's a, that's a long winded answer to, I think why people can tolerate a, uh, a, uh, like a, uh, you know, lower quality chocolate. And, um, wow. Yeah. I like the parallels drawn to uh, wine, beer, things like that, because, uh, I think more people are familiar with the difference between the $2 bottle of wine mm-hmm. and then uh, going to the restaurant and looking at the wine list, same with yeah. the beer and the microbreweries. Uh, but for yeah. some reason, chocolate hasn't quite caught on yet uh-huh. uh, and in it terms is, of yeah. the consciousness of the consumer. I, I mean, I, I was trained to go for the, you know, the higher and higher percentage that you can tolerate because you're trying to reduce your sugar intake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that whole, that whole yeah. other dimension of looking for quality 85% bar versus a, versus a mass produced, uh, conventional 85% bar. Um, mm-hmm. we're talking about a huge difference. Uh, so I wonder, I mean, the taste, the sophistication of the taste is one element. I wonder if you can, uh, can you speak to any differences in health quality, but with the antioxidant value, the polyphenols, all the benefits of dark chocolate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of different things about, um, about that health quality. It's just, um, I mean, I think the mineral content of chocolate, I mean, chocolate has a lot of high minerals. And so that's something you're going to get across the board because a mineral is something you can't destroy with heat or cooking. You know, you can't really, I mean, at, at you know, you know, like it takes a lot to destroy the minerals in a rock, for instance, but like a vitamin or a polyphenol, that's a less, um, a less stable structure. So when you roast you, when you roast your chocolate to all hell versus a light roasting, or even, um, sometimes we'll work with pastes that are actually just sun dried 
And if the paste is tasting good, we'll do it that way. And uh, I like to do that. I like to blend raw and roasted beans because I feel like you're getting, you know, you get different, you know, you get some of the like polyphenol benefits that are preserved before cooking. And then you get some that are unlocked from cooking in the same way that like a raw tomato has a different nutritional benefits than a cooked tomato, but they both have a lot of benefits. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, and also just cacao from healthy soil just, um, is going to be able to absorb more of that nutrients. And, um, and you know, people say like, you all, you hear like the kind of, it's like kind of a throwaway term, like eat the rainbow. Um, but like when you look at like the color of an actual cacao bean before it's roasted, it's this bright, like bright, deep purple color. This like, and, um, you know, there's very few foods have that color in nature. And the ones that do tend to be some of the most nutritious foods, um, you know, like purple sweet potatoes, uh, blueberries, you know, all kinds of dark berries and stuff. So I think human beings are very conditioned to kind of scan nature for those purple colors because they know it's like, you know, like a lot of bang for their nutritional buck. And, um, and cacao has had a lot of, has had a lot of incentive to become one of the nature's most, most, uh, nutrient dense foods, um, which it is. Um, it's one of the most, yeah. Um, and, uh, because it's, a uh, it needs, it needs mammals helps to perpetuate itself. It needs mammals to open these pods up, you know, classically that was like squirrels and monkeys but those monkeys turn to humans. And so it's a, it's very much an example of like, like a food, like that's like that has worked with us to create what we need because it needs us, you know, a pod can't fall to the ground and plant itself. Someone needs to come and break it open. And, uh, and yeah. And I think some of the, uh, some of, you know, cacao and other foods in nature that are like that, tend to be very nutritious because it's, you know, they kind of, they kind of won the lottery in the sense that they've got one of the, you know, the earth's best farming creatures. Um, you know, I don't saying we're the earth's smartest creature seems like, you know, something I couldn't really like consciously say, but I'd say we're probably the earth's best farmers. And, um, yeah. And so if you win us over as a plant, you've done a good job. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of a long story. And like for anyone who wants to know nutritional benefits, quick Google search just give you incredible like you know lists of like all those different types of benefits. And more and more recently, there's tons of studies on cacao. You know, the health industry tends to study the foods for health benefits that it really, really wants to hear good news about. You know, like coffee, wine, beer. You know, there's not a lot of studies on the health benefits of broccoli because people don't want like it's you know people people want to people want to rationalize the foods that they think are most delicious i feel like you know so so there's a lot of studies about why cacao is good for you for that reason and uh, and it, uh yeah very much yeah. is uh you were talking about um blending the sun-dried cacao mm-hmm. paste with mm-hmm. uh, with roasted and then yeah. are you making a bar out of that actually yeah well i mean um we don't like advertise it as our, like our 50, 50 bar or something like that. Just throughout (laughs) the year, like throughout the year, um, we're almost always part of our 81% dark chocolate blend is using a, uh, unroasted cacao bean. We don't really say raw because all cacao is fermented before you dry it and roast it. And that fermentation process brings it to between 140 and 160 degrees. 
so that is its own type of cooking in a lot of ways. And, um, that's where, that's where cacao is like becomes the nutritional powerhouse. It is, is like during that fermentation process. Um, and, uh, but yeah, but so, so we have beans that are fermented and then sun-dried and then there are beans that we have that are fermented and sun-dried and then lightly roasted. And, um, and, uh, we usually, it's easier to get a good flavored bean when you lightly roast it. You have to start with really good cacao if you want to eat one that hasn't been roasted. Um, and you have to ferment it well too, which, uh, which, which thankfully, um, Echo Cacao in Ecuador has like very much dialed in the fermentation process. And, um, that's All right, so they're doing that, they're doing that on site after they harvest, they're doing the fermentation and then, uh, you guys swoop in, the Americans come in and I was, I was acquainted with the term bean to bar, which you want to look for on your chocolate because that, uh, describe what that designation is and what, how it differs from, uh, some of the other stuff that you see on the label. Yeah. Bean to bar, when you see bean to bar on a label, um, um, it basically means the chocolatier is sourcing cacao beans and then they're processing those beans at their factory, which involves a process called, you know, um, um, winnowing, which is, uh, where you, there's cacaos have like a, there's like a skin or a husk on the beans that you don't want to eat. Um, so uh, it's not bad for you. It just adds, it's not tasty. Um, so they have to get rid of that and then you grind the beans and you get a cacao paste and you have to, um, and that's sort of a, a brief example of there's a lot of different ways to grind in different stages in that grinding, but you get the cacao paste. And then sometimes if you say single origin bean to bar, that means that it's cacao beans coming from one specific farm. So if you see a, you know, if someone just, if, so a lot of chocolate companies are bean to bar, but they're still working with blends of lots of different farms and then single origin bean to bar is, um, is that good? And it's not like a better or worse question, really. I mean, some people like people who are connoisseurs, like sometimes really like to just taste one farm. And I, I enjoy that too. I think it's very fun. It's just like, okay, you know, to taste an 85% cacao from Vietnam and next to an 85% cacao from Venezuela and just notice the, the symphony of differences is, um, is fun. But, um, we actually, since we're doing more candies, we do a line of bars, but we also do a line of candies and our customers are more rely, like they rely on us for like, like health and sustainability. They want to buy peace of mind, knowing that they're actually, you know, helping the earth, not harming it by buying our products. And that we are doing our due diligence to make sure that their body is integrating the finest version of the ingredients we can find. So they're not so, uh, enamored with tasting the flavor notes of this specific farm, especially if it's around something that has nougats, nuts, and caramel. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it'd be kind of gilding the lily for us to be a beat to bar company. Um, so yeah, so we work with paste. So they, in, at the Ecuador end and our other farm ends, they process, they do the processing of the paste there. Um, and then we get sourced big blocks of paste, which we regrind with coconut sugar, which is the sweetener we opt for instead of white sugar. And, um, and then we use that for our chocolates. So if it's, I mean, the single origin bean to bar, then you can go learn about your farm and feel really comfortable. Is there another distinction that we can, uh, the consumer can look for such as organic or some designation that your farm collective is all uh, subscribing to a wonderful sustainable practices? Yeah. I mean, 
there's the Rainforest Alliance certified, which is a good one to look for on like people who are like, okay, with just like a more like, you know, like higher end conventional, like something like a Theo or Dagoba or endangered species bars that are, you know, like 67% dark. They're still using cane sugar and, um, you know, they're, you know, around three to $5 per a bar and stuff like that. So, and that's good because Rainforest Alliance certified, but most, a lot of small farms like ours, like they don't even bother to get like a Rainforest Alliance certified like certification because they're selling all the beans that they can possibly create at a premium. So why go through the rigmarole? You know what I mean? There's, there's no incentive. So, um, there's a lot of incentive for farmers to go certified organic. So that's something that's also like really important to go through because a lot of things that you have to do to become certified organic, like just necessitate you producing your chocolate in sort of a sustainable way. Um, so certified organic, I'd say would probably be the most important one. Um, and then, Fair trade is, um, you know, important for the livelihood of the people creating the cacao, mostly when you're getting cacao from Africa. Um, cacao from South America is um, the fair wage practices are pretty much a ubiquitous thing in South America. So um, a lot of our a lot of the farms we go, we source from in South America are um, don't have a fair trade certification but it's pretty easy for us to just verify really quick that they're like, you know, everyone's being paid a fair wage. Uh, but when we source cacao from Africa, which we're trying to do more of because Africa is where most of the world's, uh, most of the world's cacao comes from and most of the problems associated with cacao on both like a human and an environment level are going on. Um, and so we feel like it's important to kind of open that market to sustainable sources of cacao and kind of begin the process of incentivizing farmers to switch over. But we do have to do a lot of due diligence there to, to make sure that it's like fair trade certified. Okay, so if we're going along the price spectrum and we're looking at Trader Joe's busting out these $1.59 bars, three and a half ounces, and then I'm looking on the other end of the spectrum as I'm trying to educate myself and find the, the best tasting and also the most sustainable products, we're talking about what triple or more of that price. And then I guess you just mentioned some in-between uh, bars where uh, you see those uh, mass distribution where they seem to be of high quality. Uh, but is there is there another level up where you're getting the absolute most premium bar, and I believe you guys probably stand in that category. Yeah. And then why the uh, differences in price? I mean, the differences in price basically come down to like sort of like, you know, number one would be like economies of scale, you know, like, which is a, you know, a term that basically means the more you can buy of something, the less you can charge for it. So if you're a very large company, um, you can buy, you know, you know, you can buy a lot of cacao and a lot of packaging materials to package it. And, um, you can charge less for that, you know, in the same way that, you know, it's like usually when you, when you buy 10 of something, it's cheaper when you buy one. Well, when you buy a million of something, it's cheaper than when you buy a thousand. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of the main reason that they can charge so little. Um, and then another, yeah, another reason is like their, their farmers have, um, are, are paid way less than our farmers too, you know, because most of that cacao is coming from Africa. Isn't there a child labor concern in, in many of the uh, occasions, many of the countries? <laughs> yeah, a lot, in you know, a lot. And that's thankfully getting better. And I think sort of um, beginning the process of being out, you have a lot of big companies 
uh, like Nestle's and Hershey's. I don't know in particular what commitments they've made, but making these like commitments to like, you know, child labor free chocolate by like, you know, 2025. And you know, it's like they want to pat on the back for that. When they're 18, it'll be child labor free because they'll they'll have worked for seven more years. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, I can can see that with the the car emissions that we we have a a window, you know, a sunset in 2030. But oh my gosh, how about child labor free tomorrow? You know, set the kids free. Exactly. That's kind of like, it's just like, yeah, it's like, it's kind of funny that like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what consumer reads that article and thinks like, oh, that's nice of them. (laughs) So like, like, um, but, um, yeah, like exactly. Well, what about child leave, child labor free right now? Does that close your company too freaking bad? You know, it's like, but, um, most likely it's, uh, those big guys are, um, you know, when I, when I, when I learned all this, I'm ashamed to say that I bought those, those cheap bars for a long time because the Trader Joe's one tasted pretty good, probably because I'd been habituated to, um, you know, such a, such a burnt roast thing that I just thought that was chocolate. Uh, so, you know, the awakening of both the, the taste buds, I guess, goes hand in hand with the yeah. awakening of um, your consciousness of what you're buying. And I think, you know, I think it's an important, like, you know, a lot of people, like, they take that same journey. A lot of people find their way to dark chocolate, not because they, I'd say more people find their way to dark chocolate because they're trying to avoid sugar than they're trying to enjoy the nuances of cacao. But oftentimes, avoiding sugar becomes the gateway to enjoying the nuances of cacao you know and so that's that i think that's great i'm not yeah i don't fault anyone who kind of takes the trader joe's trader joe's route um and uh it just just keep going yeah. keep going listeners keep going yeah, exactly. yeah swap like, it out yeah, i mean and, you know we and uh yeah we don't need like you know we don't need every american eater to have a perfect diet or like we need every american eater to just be trying a tiny bit better to have a light, slightly better diet all the time. You know, if it's like, if everyone in America yeah. just stop drinking soda, just think of like what that would do to the, the economy, how that would change, like the, just the, the nature of like food, you know, in general, like just where, where would all these soda cans go? Where would these producers money go? Where would the incentives, what kind of products would they decide to make, you know? And that's just from drinking soda. It's like, you know, it's not like, you know, that's, that's, that's far and away from going vegan or becoming paleo. It's a very easy step. So it's like, you know, the first, like, you know, like if you're, you know, if you're eating chocolate, like don't buy Nestle's Hershey's or Mars, you know, that's like, that would be an incredible first step, you know? Um, this show is sponsored by Nestle's Crunch, <laughs> the most delicious. No, yeah. no, not anymore. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, cancel, it's, it's making a statement your with, your, um, yeah. with your pocketbook. Exactly, and it really yeah. does. Yeah, it makes it it makes a huge difference. I mean, it's like to to buy a product like um, like to buy like our product over like a conventional product is literally like it's like a form of like political activism in a lot of ways. Like you're subverting conventional like economies. And with, uh, you know, so, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, my whole life, I've been sort of an activist in some regard and, you know, and I've had a long journey of kind of marrying capitalism and activism in a way that I felt was most sustainable. And, um, yeah, and that's, that's how I get my kicks is the fact that like, I've created a business that's both, you know, I'm not asking for charity. Like I'm giving you some of the world's best chocolate and you in return are helping change the like way the economic system works, you know, what is incentivized, you know, from, you know, both in this country and in Ecuador, you know, you know, a lot of these third world countries are, you know, they're in these positions now where they're having to, you know, sell 
their, you know, change, you know, clear cut their land and destroy their natural resources to grow the commodities that the world wants, you know, and not even because they want to make money because they want to pay off the debt they've been locked into, you know, and, um, anyway, so it's a, it's a, it's a long, long, hard topic, but the, but it, the thing is like the consumer doesn't need to know that whole story. They just need to, you know, support the right companies, you know? Like, you don't need to know, like, it's kind of like, you know, I think it's great to just find like little heuristics, little steps that like take care of themselves. Like you want to eat, you know, you want to eat sustainable local food and you want to eat within season and you want to eat like stuff that's fresh, like, oh, it's so many steps. Or you could just shop at a farmer's market. You don't have to think about any of that. It's all taken care of for you. You just go there and they've, that's like, I don't, I don't have to worry about what's in season. Like, I'll just go there. Like, you know, there's a reason you won't see bananas at the farmer's market, you know? And, um, and, uh, so, yeah, so I think our company is sort of like that heuristic. It's like, you don't have to think about where your, where your chocolate came from. And like, you know, is it, is it the best cacao? Is it going to be good for me? All this stuff. You just, you know, just buy or think we'll take care of that. We did the legwork, you know? And, um, is it more expensive? Oh, hell yeah. But, you know, but the, the flavors, you know, are, are better. And, you know, I think if you're like most of our customers, you'll find that, you know, unlike a box of like Russell Stover, like one piece of our candy usually, usually does the job, you know, like, you know, people don't unwrap a stick of butter and worry if they're going to eat the whole thing. You know, it's like, like when you're working with an, a very dense, nutritionally dense food, like your body has sort of like more built in, like built in controls against eating way too much. Yeah, tell me about the the choice, the the distinction between coconut sugar and regular sugar. Yeah, um, well, coconut sugar is um, very minimally processed compared to regular white sugar, um, and because of that minimal processing, it's got a it's got some a trace mineral content and a trace fiber content, um, and a lot of people like to say like coconut sugar is like high in minerals compared to white sugar, but it's um, I don't know. It feels like a little bit of misrepresentation. There is a mineral content to coconut sugar, but like comparing like, you know, the mineral content of white sugar is is next to none. And the mineral content of coconut sugar is a little bit. So a little bit is a lot next to nothing. So, uh, but, um, so, but I think, so I like to talk more about the inulin fiber that's in coconut sugar, which is what lowers the glycemic index of coconut sugar, you know, because, like, you know, like, uh, like fruits that have their fiber that binds up that glucose, you know, your body has to unpack the Rubik's, the Rubik's cube of this, that's binding up this glucose. And that takes way more time, which means, you know, a slower insulin response, which means, you know, a lower blood sugar overall. And, um, you know, everybody's body is different, you know, some people's blood sugar spikes in response to eating a bunch of saturated fat. So it's always kind of like, you know, you have to assess, but, you know, by and large, higher fiber content means lower, you know, lower insulin response. And so, uh, you know, and then also, you know, you're eating that sugar in a block of like very healthy fats, i.e. cacao butter. And, um, you know, so cacao or like saturated fats also sort of down, down regulating insulin or insulin response too. So, so most people, um, me included tend to find the coconut sugar, sits a little bit easier on the system overall. And, um, and for people who don't want to, um, have any sugar in their diet whatsoever, 
um, we do have like, you know, we have a couple of products that just are just completely unsweetened. And, um, but that's sort of like a niche market, but it's there. And actually it's a growing one too. A lot of people are interested in hundred percent cacao bars these days and single origin cacao bars that are a hundred percent. Those can be really fun because there's nothing competing for your attention except that cacao base. And you're really, you know, really getting like the picture of that, um, that cacao, which is fun. We just actually, we just, uh, we're gonna, um, unroll here um, mid uh, or uh, mid October we're gonna launch a hundred uh, percent drinking chocolate um, so it's a one hundred percent of this Ecuadorian cacao um, and it's you know it's it's pretty delicious yeah tell me about that bar which seems to be unique that you offer where the the fruit of the cacao bean is like reinfused to, to give it the sweetness. Oh yeah. That bar is really exciting. Yeah. We were trying a long time to find a way to make that bar. Um, so cacao, most people have never seen like a fresh cacao pod. It's about the size of a Nerf football. Um, and then you break open that and then inside is a nest of beans. And around these beans is this white mucilaginous like fruit. Um, and it has like a really bright sour flavor, almost like a, like a green apple. Um, and most people, um, most people down there, like, so a lot of people just will grow one cacao tree on their like farm just around their house. And it's not because they're making their own chocolate bars. They just swish these beans around in their mouth to taste that delicious fruit and then spit out that bean. And, um, and this is actually how cacao originally was like, uh, like creating, like incentivizing animals to help it pollinate. These animals would tear open these pods delete, eat the delicious fruit around these beans and then just leave the bitter beans scattered all over the place. And, um, so we have a, we have a farm in, uh, we have a farm that has a processing place in Mindo, Ecuador that, um, is taking that fruit, um, like distilling it at a low temperature into like kind of a syrup. And then that syrup we're layering in between an 81% dark chocolate bar. So you have like the bitter, like kind of bitter, smooth chocolate, um, combined with the bright, sharp, tart flavor of this fruit. And they're kind of like, it's like an incredible yin yang of flavors, but they're from the same fruit, which I think is sort of such an interesting, intriguing thing for people to, to wrap their heads around that these two flavors that are just like the antithesis of each other are literally part of the same plant. And, um, and I think it's most people in America's chance, probably, probably only chance in their lifetime to taste the fruit of a cacao, cacao pod. Um, yeah. So, so we're really excited about it and it's, uh, it's been selling really well. It's probably one of the ones that of our solid chocolate bars, it's the one that people most often just buy like 12 of at a time or something like that. Oh yeah. Which is really, you know, it, the, the the specials come through. I think we better finish. People are getting hungry right now and enticed. Yeah. So tell us uh, where to go on your website and um, wh- what what that bar is called because you have to try that. Yeah. people. it's really it's really special, one of a kind. And I appreciate your time, Sean. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries. Um, so that's the uh, cacao nectar bar, and um, and uh, we'll do. Uh, I'll I'll generate a, a promo code for uh for shoppers too for our website uh coracowchocolate.com 
um, spelled C-O-R-A-C-A-O. If they can't remember that, we also, uh, chocolateforpresident.com <laughs> or we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take you to that same URL. And, um, so yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll generate a promo code for, let's do Brad 15. It'll get people 15% off their, uh, their order. How about that people? What, how can you, how can you lose now getting the highest quality chocolate in the world? Sean Jewell from Coracao Chocolate in the San Francisco Bay area and picking up the new, uh, drinking chocolate. So we'll have to add that to the cart when you're over there, but thank you so much for the comprehensive education. That was wonderful. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're we're talking about health, and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too it's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure. 